are you excited this week, Stephanie? So excited this week, Stevie. Welcome to You Know the One Where, Mayamo. Where we talk about things that make us sad. Mayamo, Stevie. Je m'appelle Stephanie. <laughs> you studied French, right? And I studied Spanish? Oui. <laughs> Donde esta la biblioteca? And then I always say my Spanish in, with a Russian accent now, which is very confusing. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, so I'll say, Donde esta la biblioteca? Oh my god. I love it. Okay, so this week we are going to do an interesting case that comes out of Iowa, the homeland for neither of us. I don't know why I said that. It's just... Neither of us are from I don't know. It's near us. It's in the Midwest. Hashtag... (laughs) Kind of. Going places. Um, <laughs> and definitely not our homeland because for a second I thought, ooh, potatoes. And then I was like, a- oh, no, that's Iowa. So that's I'm like Iowa. the other <laughs> I state. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this case is a super interesting case. I actually didn't know about this case until recently. There's this YouTube channel I've been watching where they upload, you know, not legally. They upload, <laughs> like, British true crime, but also, like, oxygen true crime. So, if you don't have, like, cable, you can watch them. And then also there's no ads because they can't get AdSense from it because it's copywritten. I just have YouTube Premium to get rid of ads. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. You're better than me. You think you're better than me? I know. I am. I'm better than you. I have YouTube Premium. <laughs> well, I don't. So it's nice to have the no ads. So yeah, so I saw this on there and it's from a show called In Cold Blood with Ice-T. And Ice-T is oh my the... God, I've heard of this. Yeah, he's the narrator. And I mean, is just bloody brilliant. Uh... Does John Mulaney know about this show? <laughs> if not, we should tweet him. <laughs> John Mulaney. I'm guessing he does. He follows. He must follow Ice-T on everything. I hope so. <laughs> yes. So it is, is definitely worth, worth a watch. It's on Oxygen. I do not have access to the Oxygen, so it was nice to be able to watch it. So I wa- was watching it, like half watching it the first time. Um, there's cat hair all over my microphone. <laughs> so i was half watching it and then i was like oh this is weird and i kind of sucked me in because normally i'm like doing something like doing a puzzle on my phone because i'm freaking so cool or a crossword puzzle or regular puzzle so i sometimes miss pieces but if it's like a crazy case it kind of sucks me in that's ironic that you're doing puzzles that's causing you to miss pieces (laughs) you're stupid you are stupid (laughs) i would not have even caught that that was actually a good one So this was on there, and I've never heard of it before, and I thought it was a really cool case. So I researched it a little bit more today, and we are going to jump right in. Let's do it. High five. High five. Slime five. I have slime on my hands because I have to keep my hands busy while we do this. (laughs) We have issues. We're working on our issues. Okay, so we're going to start off in Iowa, Grimes, Iowa, which is near Des Moines. (laughs) near Des Moines, and we meet our lovers, Justin and Angie. They met in June of 2013. Angie said that after their, like, third date, she texted a friend and said, yep, I'm pretty sure I'm going to marry this guy. She said that it was as close to love at first sight as could be, that it was kind of a whirlwind, but they felt like there's such a strong connection that it was like almost instant. So they fell in love really quickly. It said that they got along very well because they had very similar temperaments. They were both also very kind and giving people. Justin worked at Wells Fargo, but he also did a lot of community service with Habitat for Humanity, and he was really, really kind and giving to other people. Speak. For now, it's just making me feel really bad about how I live my life at the moment. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Look at this person, and he's oh, you think you're better than me just because you do all this? Yes, you are. He's better than than us. Yes, and then Angie, she was a middle school math teacher who also kind of had that you know kindness, wanting to give to others. You know, all teachers are well, most teachers are amazing people. (laughs) Can't blanket (laughs) statement that. So not all teachers. Hashtag not all teachers. Um, So they were together for only two months when they decided to get engaged. So it was, yeah, it was a fast one. But they said that they were going to have a long engagement because they didn't want to, you know, jump too quickly into it. They made this commitment to each other. They wanted to be together, but they kind of wanted the engagement to be a long one. So they ended up being engaged for about a year, I think a little bit more than a year. And then they had set the date for the wedding, which was supposed to be in July of 2014. So 
They'd been together for about a year, been engaged for like 10 months. It is May 8th, 2014, and it is about 3 o'clock in the morning, and Justin Michael is sleeping next to his fiancée, Angie Verhue. They are sleeping in the master bedroom, but his mom, Marie Michael, is actually staying with them at the time, visiting. So she's staying in the guest bedroom, which is right next door to their bedroom. When... At about that time, a 911 call comes into the Grimes dispatch. And it's Justin's mom, Marie, on the phone saying very calmly that someone came in and shot somebody. And the dis- and the dispatcher asks, do you know who was shot? And she says again, very calmly, my son, Justin Michael. The dispatcher asks where he is shot. And she says, in the head, he's dead. She says he was shot several times in the face. So the dispatcher asks her if she saw who shot him, and she says, no, I saw a dark figure with an infrared light come into my bedroom and then go into my son's bedroom. I did not see any face or anything. An infrared light? Yes. So at 3.30, the investigators come and it has been deemed a murder scene. He has passed away at the crime scene. And so they separate Angie and Marie and put them in different police cars and take them so that they can get their stories and try to figure out what's going on and make sure that, you know, they can't communicate with each other, which is often how they do that at murder scenes. So then they talk to Marie and they ask her, you know, what happened. And then they talk to Angie at the same time and they basically confirm what Marie said on the 911 call. They said an intruder dressed in all black with a laser sight on a gun. So she calls it an infrared light, but it was a laser sight. Marie said she heard the door open in her bedroom. She saw the light shining in on her, pointing at her, but then she saw the figure leave and she was very disoriented and confused. Then she heard several gunshots. Angie said that she was sleeping next to Justin when she heard the crack door open. She thought it was him going to the bathroom or coming back from the bathroom. But then she heard the four shots and she jolted up and she was like, what the fuck? And she saw this figure in all black running out of her bedroom. So the police were like, something doesn't seem right here. That's crazy. Something is suspicious. But they take them to the police station for more interviews. And while they are at the police station, the investigation team is looking through the house to try and determine how he was killed, where he was killed, and if there was any, like, evidence that they could collect. They find Justin Michael laying in bed. He still has his arms crossed over his chest and his legs crossed over the ankle like he was sleeping. They said it looks like he... sleeps like that? I'm sorry. How do... I don't know. and But also, like, that's what they described it. I, I don't have a picture, so I don't really know if that, like, you don't know exactly. Because his arms might have just been, like, you know, he might have just been hugging himself. Because sometimes when I sleep, I couldn't do that. But I sleep on my side and hug myself, you know. But he sleeps on his back Aww. and hugs himself. Um, But yeah, so they said it looks like he died instantly from the first shot. He didn't wake up. He didn't have any defensive wounds. He was dead right away. So they found that he had four gunshot wounds, three to the head, and one to the neck. They also noticed that the gun had been so close to his head that he had gunpowder burns on the side of his head. The person was literally inches from his head when he fired the gun. And where did Angie say she saw the person? In her bedroom, just standing over their bed. Okay, so he would have had to be on what's-his-face's side. Yes, yep, Justin's side, yep. Once Justin's body is removed, they pull the bed away from the wall and they can see the four indents where the bullets went into the wall after they went through his head. And they actually found one of the bullets went all the way through the house and was in the yard. It had shot all the way through. So it was definitely not a normal just pistol. They determined it was most likely an assault rifle. It was going to say, yeah, something that. Wow. They also found on top of the bed where he laid, they found four 9mm shell casings. So they had all of the shell casings. So it's obvious that nobody tried to clean them up. So then they went through the house and they determined there was no signs of forced entry. All of the doors and windows were locked except for one. The back door had been unlocked. And so Angie had said that when she saw the guy leave, she jumped out of bed and she went to all of the windows and doors to try and figure out how he got in. And she said that she looked and saw the back door was unlocked and cracked open a little bit. Is that what you do when somebody shoots your boyfriend or your fiancé? You you try to figure out where he got in. I'd be more worried about getting the help or making sure the doors are now locked. And maybe that's what she was doing. I don't know. Honestly, that's the whole thing. Just going into, like, survivor mode, I have no freaking clue. True. Like, uh, yeah, you don't know until you're in that situation. Yeah. 
exactly. what you would do. Then they're looking for any physical evidence and they basically find nothing. There's no fingerprints. There's nowhere they could find that there would be DNA. There was some sign that it may have been a burglary, but upon further inspection, they realized that nothing was actually taken. So strangely, the DVD player had been pulled out of the console and like unplugged, like the wires unplugged, but then it was just laying there. Like someone had pulled it out to make it look like they were going to take it, but didn't actually take it. And then they found a bright yellow neon sweatshirt that looked like it had like a, um, like when you work at a garage, it has like the garage's name on it or whatever. Like oh, when you work, the logo. Yeah, like, yes. When you work at a company, it has like the, the logo and the team's name or whatever. Yeah. And um, she said that that did not belong to her and that did not belong to Justin. So they collected that. And then some people in town, when this first came out, it was very, it was a very small town and nothing like this happened there very often, especially not someone going into another person's home and killing them, you know, in the middle of the night. So people were thinking that like, oh my God, it must have been a burglary gone wrong and that Justin was such an angel and he had no enemies. So why would anyone try to kill him? So people were like freaked out and kind of thinking that their worst nightmare had come true and some guy had come into that house to steal something and it went terribly wrong. However, the police did not think that this was a burglary gone wrong. No, because by all accounts, they came in there just to kill him. A burglary gone wrong is when the victims then stumble upon the burglar in the act. Exactly. And then they kill them because they were found out or because they were startled. He wasn't startled at all. The person obviously came in to kill this person. Exactly. That's exactly what I wrote. So I said, no one was woken up to catch the burglar to freak him out. Like, it would make sense if Justin had woken up and gone out there and was standing when he had gotten killed. Like, he was, holy shit, someone's breaking into my house. Or if Angie had woken up or Marie had woken up, but they're all still sleeping. Normally, a burglar wouldn't be freaked out until they came across someone if they didn't think someone was home. So even if he didn't think they were home and walked into the bedroom thinking they weren't there and then seeing that they were there... He then either, that yeah. would mean like if they were sleeping he could have been like was like oh shit and crept right back out or shot him all like anybody was awake yeah or shot them all just to fucking you know because you're panicking but why just go into his room just shoot him leave angie and obviously he went into marie's room first so saw her there and mm-hmm. left yeah so they obviously have more information they haven't given a lot to the media so the media is still freaking out about this but they're like mm, no it doesn't make any sense Police at the station are finally interviewing Marie and Angie, and they just keep commenting on how calm they are. It's like a flat affect. They are describing this as if it's like, you know, they're describing a book that they, a boring book that they had read. They're describing exactly what happened. Marie, his mother, basically is describing the scene and how bloody it was. She's describing looking at his face and seeing the gunshot wounds in his face, but she's like, just like, Flat affect. So they're a little bit confused, especially because it's both of them. Like, both of them are just very, very calm. So uh, they bring them into separate interrogation rooms, but they're talking to them at the same time. The police want to get them set on a story, each of them, and then they're going to meet and talk about the stories that each of them got. And if they have any inconsistencies, then they'll go back in and be like, oh, well, you know, like Marie said this or Angie said this. Again, she tells them exactly what happened, what she said in the 911. So the only thing they could get from Marie is basically the same thing, just dark clothing. She couldn't see skin color, gender. She couldn't even like determine if how tall he was. or we, All she said is it was just dark clothing, basically a shadowy figure. Which makes sense, you know, it's 3.30 in the morning, all the lights are off, you just woke up from a sleep and you have a laser yeah. pointing at you or whatever. You're, you're horizontal, they're vertical. <laughs> exactly. So then they are asking Angie if she took any life-saving measures. Did you check his pulse? Did you try CPR? And she says no, she didn't check for a pulse. She said she kind of like jolted his arm to see if he was awake. And she said all she could hear was gurgling noises and she knew he was dead. The police then ask Angie what was going on in Justin's life, if he had any enemies, if someone would target him. And Angie's like, honestly, he is the nicest guy I've ever known. I have no idea who would do this. I can't even, I can't even think of a potential suspect. She has no idea. And Marie has nothing either. She's, she's, my son's a great guy. I I don't know. I can't think of anything. Police eventually realize that Marie is just in shock, that she's still processing all of it. It doesn't make any sense that she would have anything to do with it. So they're kind of like, I think she's just processing this. And this is how she maybe is reacting to her son being shot in front of her. Yeah. So then they focus more in on Angie and they try to determine if there was anything 
in their lives that would have caused this? Like, was he cheating on her? Was she cheating on him? Was there any bad relationships? Like, anything going on? And she, she's, no, we're happy. You know, we're about to get married. We, you know, we're very, like, very in love. And then they ask if he had a gambling problem, if he did drugs, trying to figure out anything. And she's like, no, not that I know of, but I know him pretty well. You know? Yeah. She, yeah. So she's calm. She hasn't been crying. So then they ask about her ex-boyfriends and his ex-girlfriends and if there was any relationships in the past that they think could cause someone to act out against them. They first ask about her most recent ex-boyfriend, which is his name was Andy Wegner. And she says, well, we were together for three years, but we broke up in the beginning of 2013, which was about six months before she met Justin. But she said it was a very amicable breakup and that they just grew apart. They even decided to continue to be roommates after they broke up because they still had their lease and they were still really good friends. They just weren't romantically involved anymore. So they're like, was he ever possessive? Like, do you think that he would do this to you? And she said, no, he has a new girlfriend. Like, he was completely fine with me moving on. He already has moved on. He had no signs of being jealous or anything. So she's like, I highly doubt that he had anything to do with this. Then they ask if she had any actually possessive or controlling or abusive ex-boyfriends in the past. And she's like, no, I, I didn't. So the police are like, something isn't adding up here. This doesn't make sense. They said the main reason for murder is relationship issues, money issues, love triangles. You know, it's the typical it's yeah. a specific murder. This isn't a random murder. They've already determined at this point, this wasn't random. He walked no. into that house. Then Angie suddenly remembers that in November of 2013, her car had been parked outside of Justin's house and it had been vandalized really bad. The windows were smashed in, the side had been completely keyed, and it looked like someone had taken a bat to the top and to the hood of it. So she's like, that's the only thing I can think of that's happened recently that's been violent. And the police says the weirdest statement like just so weird. And I love police, I love interrogations, I love watching them. And I think for the most part it is a science and it's pretty fascinating to watch but he says now you had your car singled out and vandalized and now justin was singled out and murdered now you wasn't and marie wasn't and justin was there wasn't a burglary in your home there was no randomness and she starts crying basically blaming her kind of like you're not telling me something and like your car was singled out but you weren't killed so why would justin be killed and like trying to relate these things without actually relating them yeah. Then she starts, he's like, you need to dig through your life and go through your thought process and figure out what happened because this isn't random. Nothing was taken. And at this point, she didn't realize that nothing had been taken because she had gotten, you know, taken away from the scene so fast. And so she's like, nothing was taken. And he said, no. And she goes, okay, well, actually, there was this one guy that I dated between Andy and Justin. But we we were, I wouldn't even say it was dating. She said that they texted. It was like mainly a texted relationship for about three months. And they went out one night. And she said that it was nothing to her. His name was Dave, she said. But she couldn't remember his last name at the time. She said that he was very childish, very immature. So she broke it off with him. And he was not happy. And he started saying like really vulgar, mean things to her through text messages. He even said, eat shit and die. Which... As you may know, that's one of my favorite sayings. My uncle <laughs> my uncle said it once at a grocery store, or he heard someone say it at a grocery store or something. I even have a framed thing on my wall that says, eat shit and die. So I was, I was really sad when I saw that a fucking asshole said this to her. Right? This is my thing. Yes. And, it, and it's only good yeah. if you don't say it. Yeah. So I'm not going to let it ruin it for me. A little bit later in the interview, she actually remembers his last name. She says his name was David Moffat and that she stopped seeing David once she met Justin and, and it was like nothing. That's all they get from the interviews. So they decide that they need to look into Andy Wegner and David Moffat. So first things first, they do a weapons check on both of the men to see if any of them have any registered 9mm or guns in general. And they find nothing for either of the men. However, they do find information regarding David Moffat because he had his car impounded and there was an impound record for him from the night before the murder. You're like, oh, weird, you know, it's kind of strange. Yet we have this record from the night before. And, and then they look at the place where it was impounded and it's only six miles from Justin and Angie's house. It's kind of looking like a coincidence, especially because David lives about 30 minutes from where they live. So he's 30 minutes away from home around the time of the murder. 
at like three o'clock in the morning. So they were like, there are coincidences, but this doesn't seem like, you know, it's too much of a coincidence. So they go and they talk to the deputy who impounded the car. And the deputy says, well, I was driving my route that night and I came across this car that actually had crashed into the ditch. And it looked like it had maybe spun out or something. And so he went up to the car and no one was there. The car was empty. There was no one around. And so he was kind of looking through the car to see if there's any like injuries or what was going on. And then all of a sudden he sees David Moffat running out of the woods towards the car. And the deputy says he's kind of acting sketchy. He's sweaty. He's covered in burrs and grass. And like he's been running through the freaking woods. The cop thinks this is strange, but all of a sudden over the radio, he hears about this murder. And since it's such a small town, he needs to be available in case they need backup. So he decides that he's going to impound the car. So he calls a tow truck, gets it impounded, and then he calls a cab company to come and pick up David and take him home. Because he's like, we'll deal with this later. I have to go to this murder scene. So they impound his car. David goes home. So then they're like, okay, well, let's talk to the cab driver to see what he had to say. They call the cab driver and the taxi driver was like, yeah, he was a really strange guy. He was acting weird. We had a 30 minute ride to his house and he... I think he only talked to me twice, but he looked like he was sketchy back there. And he said it was one of the most uncomfortable car rides. And he said, I pick up drunk people. I pick up crazy people every night of the week. And this guy gave me the heebie-jeebies. that's saying something. Then the police decide that they need to go to the crash site. So they actually bring a bunch of the cadets from the nearby police academy to help them scan the area because it was such a big wooded area. They're, you know, going side by side, walking through this brush in this wooded area. And they find a shit ton of shit. They find a bunch of blue rubber gloves scattered around everywhere. Weird. They find a Kindle. Weird. They also find notes that appear to be, like, surveillance notes. Like, when neighbors come, when neighbors leave, when people come out of their house, when lights turn on, when lights go off. I hate it. Yep. And they find at the top of the paper, Justin Michael's address. So he's obviously been stalking them. Yes. They also find two 9mm magazines with the same ammo. It's Tool brand ammo, which was found at the murder scene. So they're pretty sure this is the same ammo. It was unused ammo, but it was the same kind of ammo in magazines. And they also found a shoebox. And when they opened up the shoebox, they found a receipt. And the name on the receipt was not David Moffat, but it was Andy Wegner. So why... Andy Wagner, her ex-boyfriend, who she dated for three years, and David Moffat, who she dated for three months in between Andy and Justin, have a receipt for him in his shoebox that probably came out of his car at the crash site where he was found. So they're connected? We don't know! dun 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 or he's been stalking her since he was she was with him and for some reason went into like got his shit. I don't know. Oh, you will find out. Okay. Actually this is <laughs> this is where we're leaving it. Peace out. <laughs> Fuck you. It's not happening. <laughs> Just kidding. So now they are trying to figure out why these two people are connected, if maybe they work together to plan and execute the murder. You know, do they know each other? Like it just it didn't make sense because the only connection that at the time they could find between Andy and David was Angie. So at this point, they had a ton of circumstantial evidence that backed up David Moffat being their prime suspect at the time, and potentially Andy Wegner. They end up securing a search warrant for David Moffat's residence. They go into his house, and he's not there, but they have a search warrant, so they break in, and they find a bunch of weird stuff there, too. So they find a package for hearing protection that people often wear when they go to gun ranges to protect their ears when they're shooting. They find camo paint, like you're trying to paint your face so that you can blend into things. And then they find an old duffel bag with service information for the car with Andy Wagner's name on it. So now they're in David Moffat's house, and they find service information regarding Andy Wagner's car. Did Andy sell him his car? No, so it wasn't the car that they had found on the road. So that the car they found on the road was for David Moffat. That car was a different car, but it was like a service information in like a duffel oh, okay, bag. Okay. So they're like, weird, why are these two people connected once again? So then they're looking through the trash and they find a bill of sale for a 9mm gun. There it is. And the bill of sale is signed by Andy Wagner, not David Moffat. 
So they're like, something is suspicious. So <laughs> they call the guy on the on the gun slip, the seller, and they're like, hey, um, we need to talk to you about a gun that you sold. And they call this guy and he's like the nicest, sweetest gun sailor, seller you could ever find. But he is like freaked out because selling guns, you know, you, is, there's a lot of procedures you have to follow and like standards. And he's like, holy shit, the, fed, the feds are coming after me. But yeah. so they ask him like what, what, he, what happened, why he sold the weapon and kind of go through the motion. So he said that he needed to sell this nine millimeter. And I always thought nine millimeters were pistols. I thought that was a thing. I don't know anything about guns. Neither do I. But it was a long assault rifle. It was big. I'll see if I can find a picture and put it on the blog. But it was a big assault rifle gun, which could have a laser sight put on it. Right. And so he said he just needed to sell this gun. And he went on a website called Arms List, which is like Craigslist for guns. Hope that's that not a thing anymore. <laughs> I'm really glad that's a thing in our lives. I hope that that Jesus. went the way of Craigslist, hopefully. But he found some buyers. He said it's like when you sell anything online, even if you sell it on eBay or whatever. You get a bunch of people at first who are like, oh, I want to buy it. But they fall through and yeah. they're scams or whatever. And then he said he finally got one person who was like adamant about buying this gun. And so the guy said, I'll meet you. I'll drive up to you. I want this gun. I'll pay in cash. Like, let's do this. So they end up meeting, and the guy says, my name's Andy Wegner. I'm here to buy this gun. Can you show me how to load it? So the guy shows him how to load it, and then Andy pays him, and he says that Andy's wearing hat and dark sunglasses, but he asks him to do this bill of sale. And he kind of forces him to, because Andy doesn't really want to. He's like, what's the point? I don't need it. And he's like, no, this is like law. So he pulls out the bill of sale sheets, so they each get one. And then on his sheet, like, you have to look at the ID of the person who's buying it, and then you have to sign off. So he had to look at Andy's driver's license to confirm this is Andy, and then, right. like, like, this is the person who's buying the gun, and then do the bill of sale. I'm selling this gun to Andy. Andy now owns this gun. So he did everything right. He was very smart. So the police were like, great job. Do you have anything from this gun that would help us? And he goes, oh, well, I've kept every shell casing I've shot out of that gun, which... I, what, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. For this moment, probably. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, probably for a moment just like this. Like, oh my god. They were shocked. He's like, yeah, he had him in like a box. So he gave him like a box of a bunch of these shell casings that he he said, every time I fired that gun, I've kept the shell casings. And they're like, hell yeah. So they take the shell casings and they show two pictures to the man. His name, I can't remember what his name was. He's a good guy. And they show him two pictures and they're like, who of these did you see? One picture is David Moffat and one picture is Andy Wegner. And he's like, well, I recognize them both. He says, this one I saw on the ID picture, but I think this is the guy who I actually talked to. But so they, seem, they, they look similar enough. Yes. He said in another world, they could have been brothers. He said they looked so similar that he couldn't fig- he couldn't recognize them. But he's like, I'm pretty sure... I sold the gun to this guy, but I think he was on the ID, and they were very, he was confused. So they couldn't get an exact ID, but now they know that something isn't right here. Oh, so then they- I think I know what happened. So then, <laughs> do you want to say your suspicion, or do you want to hold it? Um, I guess for entertainment, so that if I'm wrong, you get to say you're wrong. <laughs> but, um, okay, so it's sounding- Okay, so there's Andy, and then what was the other guy's name? David. David, that's what I thought. I didn't want to speak before. You, David! Was, I knew it was wrong. Ew, David. So it sounds like David has been trying to impersonate Andy, trying to possibly frame Andy, but he's kind of an idiot and fucked it up with the car being the way it was because then they, they kind of just knew all along that it was David who was here and now it's kind of backtracking like, oh, maybe you were trying to impersonate this guy and you're too dumb and you did not succeed. <laughs> well, I cannot confirm or deny those claims at this point. We, we will find out. We will find out. <laughs> that is my guess. So this is actually all happening that day so it's been 11 hours and they already have oh my god yes they already have all this information which i was shocked so if madeline mccann had this kind of investigative <laughs> team maybe we would have found her that's so true There's i'm so... sorry that's so terrible but it's true this i mean this is a little bit of a different of a case but i mean yes it's true so they bring the shell casings to the lab and the lab compares those shell casings to the shell casings from the gun and they're like yes these were shot from the same gun 
And I love that it's a whole box of shell casings <laughs> because, like, you know, there's always the standard deviation and, like, okay, amount of error that, you, you know, you could, like, you get one or two. So it's kind of like, okay, well, it could possibly, no, you have a whole box <laughs> Pick that you one. can compare to. <laughs> so, like, you know how this gun shoots. Yeah. So there's going to be, like, pretty low chance of them misidentifying if these shell casings actually came from this gun, because you have so much prior evidence of mm-hmm. what it would look like. Exactly. So then they bring Andy in, because obviously he's linked to this. They need to figure out what Andy's role in all of this is. So they bring Andy in for an interview, and they ask him about his relationship with Angie. He says the same exact thing as Angie. It was a great relationship. We were together for three years. It ended cordially. He had no animosity towards her or Justin. He was in a new relationship with a new girl, and he was happy. They ask him if he's ever met or knows someone named David Moffat, and he says, no, I have never heard of him before. They asked him, like, when was the last time you were in town? He said, I haven't been in Grimes for at least a month. He said, I think I was there a month ago to play basketball with some friends, but he doesn't live in Grimes anymore. So then they ask what his alibi is, and he says that he was with his girlfriend. He had taken her out to dinner, he had receipts, and then he had stayed the night at his girlfriend's, and it had all been corroborated, and I think where he lived and where she lived, it didn't work. It just didn't fit. So they were like, he has an airtight alibi, so he wasn't there. We know he didn't shoot the gun. Then they ask, hey, can we search your house? Can we search your car? And he's like, yeah, go ahead, search everything. They look in his car, they look in his house, and they find nothing. No evidence. So then they were like pretty convinced that he was telling the truth, but they wanted to just try one more thing. So they said, have you gotten an oil change recently? Because the receipt that they had found on David Moffat was an oil change receipt. He said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think about a month ago or something. He goes, oh, well, can you show us the receipt? He goes, oh, yeah, it's in the back of my car. Let me go grab it. And he goes to the back of his car and it's not there. He's like, this is weird. I normally take those receipts like everybody <laughs> takes and it. And put it in a box. Or you throw it in the back. He just threw it in the back seat because he was like, I don't fucking need this. Who needs an oil change receipt unless your car, like, oil is weird, you know? Yeah. So he th- he's like, I threw it in the back and I usually do that. And then the next time I clean my car, I throw it away. But I haven't cleaned my car oh. since then. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. So he's basically saying, I don't know where it is, but it should be back there. But it's not. So they're like, okay. They trusted him. He hadn't, you know, it made sense. Okay. So to me, this is how David found Andy. For how, Somehow he knows that they're, or he figures out how he's connected to Angie. And, okay, this is my guess, that he got his, he works at the place that Andy got his oil change and went back later and took the receipt to try to <laughs> sever the connection between them. Like, I don't know. Is that crazy? I mean, it's a little. Am I completely off? No, you're not completely off, but that's a little crazy. <laughs> he's not that. That's what I would do. Like, not that I would ever kill someone, but like, if I wanted to make sure that like, there's no tangible evidence that I'm in connection with someone, I would then go get the receipt. Okay, never mind. That's crazy. <laughs> no, no, you're not on the wrong, you're not on the wrong path, but you're just a little, it's just a little bit. Little okay. Bit. You're just missing a little piece. They basically come to the conclusion that he's probably not involved and that someone is trying to frame him and use his identity. So they decide to search David Moffat's home once again, the same day, for anything that they can relate to the stuff that they have before. And I guess because they had the Kindle, the electronic device, they have probable cause to look through all of his electronics with the search warrant. I'm, yeah, I, they didn't really explain it in depth, but they did say that because we had the Kindle, we could we could take all of his electronic devices. They find one computer that's upstairs on a desk, like a normal computer should be, but then they find one computer in a big red Tupperware storage bin partially filled up with water. (laughs) Where computers shouldn't be and how they shouldn't be stored. (laughs) So they're like, something is suspicious. Well, I'm just trying to clean it, man. (laughs) Isn't that how you can clean computers? And so they grab that, obviously, and they also find in the tub his shoes from the night... (laughs) They find ammo, same ammo that was found in the frickin' woods and at the scene, and parts to a laser sight. What the fuck is the point of washing off the evidence if it's going to still be in your house when the Why cops get there? Why are you keeping there? it? Granted, the cops moved hella fast. Yes, true. There was no time, because he botched this from the beginning mm-hmm. by trying to kill someone, which just don't kill people. <laughs> it's not that hard. Don't kill people. Unless they're trying to kill you, then kill them. But, like, <laughs> if they ain't trying to kill you, don't kill them. They looked through his trash. They said, we always find good things in the trash. We always look through the trash because we usually can find things. So they found a receipt 
for a Mountain Dew and a candy bar from four days before the murder on the date the gun was purchased in the city where the gun was purchased, which is four hours away from David's house. When snacking turns on you. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get there. So they go to the gas station and they get the surveillance video and they're like, that's David Moffat. He fucking, you know, we got this. So then Ice-T says, no matter how nice, (laughs) hold on. I started. <laughs> no matter how nice of a day it is, no one drives four hours for a Mountain Dew and a candy bar. Why is he freaking from Brooklyn? <laughs> I don't know what was better, the quote itself or your portrayal of but it. But I laughed so hard when he said that. No matter how nice of a day it is, no one drives four hours for a Mountain Dew and a candy bar. That's fucking true. So now it's time for our game show. <gasps> what candy bar did he buy? If it was a Milky Way, I'm going to scream. <laughs> Milky Way is trash. <gasps> How dare you? <gasps> Milky Ways are everything. They are trash. They are Snickers' no. ugly cousin that tastes like shit. How? Okay, we, this is the, everybody, this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> I can no longer be a part of this, this thing. Worst, worst candy bar, Three Musketeers. Second worst candy bar, Milky Way. How dare you? <laughs> Hashtag my opinion. Hashtag it's Reese's, not Reese's. <laughs> oh, go fuck yourself. That almost ruined our relationship. Still <laughs> might if you tag on this Milky Way stuff. Okay, so what do you think it was? I'll give you three guesses. Okay. Okay. What is it? A Twix? Because he was being Twicky. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I made a freaking joke about it. So we're on the same page. But no, it's not a Twix. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Was it a Snickers because you're just not you when you're hungry? <laughs> oh my god, I love you so much. We're on the same fucking page, but no, it was not a Snickers. Um, Was it a take five? Because he should have taken five and redone this plan and just not done it. Eh, nope, wrong. So, Damn. he bought a Butterfinger. And no. nobody's gonna lay a finger on my Butterfinger. <laughs> And it's, is Angie his butterfinger? Oh, no. Oh. So, back to the story. That's, oh, oh, if I had an option number four, can I tell you what it would have been? Yeah. Was it a Kit Kat? Because he just needed, he needed to take a break from this criminal crap. <laughs> Seriously, I need a break, bitch. Yeah. He had so many options. I do love a butter. Was it sweet tarts? Because sometimes he's horrible and he's never sweet. <laughs> no, that's, that's Sour Patch Kids. Sour, sweet, gone. (laughs) That bitch is gone. Shit. Um, They had mounds of evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Quite the whopper of a plan. (laughs) He's a whatchamacallit idiot. That's what he is. (laughs) I mean, at least he wasn't searching for a payday. (laughs) He's not a Mr. Goodbar, that's fucking sure. (laughs) But he is a salted nut roll because he's a piece of shit. Actually, I love he salted nuts. He should have taken a hundred grand and had somebody else do the murder. Yeah, hire a hitman. <laughs> Don't get your shit dirty. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right, I think we digress. Are you out? We, we, I, I, I don't know. I can't think of any more candy bars at this point. I know that's where I'm at. It might. We might just jump in there every now and again. But yeah, we're gonna like just laser into your brain, and you're gonna wake up at three o'clock in the morning. You're gonna call me. <laughs> so the police are almond joyful because they have a shit ton of evidence. <laughs> so they. No, that- Were they eating M&M's going, hmm, this seems like the guy. Yes, they were. And they were like, okay, we got him. They decide that he is going to be arrested. I'm so sorry. I totally forgot what the candy bar ended up being. <laughs> Butterfinger. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Nobody lays a finger on my Butterfinger. That's right. That's he was apparently a Butterfinger with the car. The <gasps> yeah. They still don't really explain what happened there, by the way. I think that he was probably trying to, like, get rid of evidence, throwing it out the window, thinking, like, it would like it would have led back to Andy, and not realizing that he was, like, getting close to the edge or going too fast and spun out. Because the way well, that- like, Why did he come out of the room? Oh, I thought, I thought he crashed 
before the murder no ran through the woods to the house oh no 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 so i think he was trying to get rid of evidence because he was six miles from home like his house i don't think i think he so i think that he was trying to throw out those gloves and the ammo and the box with the receipt to kind of be like oh it's andy but then he crashed his car accidentally he ran into the woods to probably get rid of more evidence in case the police showed up and then he ran back out like oh fuck that's oh my god where's the gun but i don't know the gun's in the woods. He, he put it in the woods. They never find it. not in the car. If they never find the gun. I don't know. Did they find the gun? It's in the woods. They never find the gun, as far as I know. It's in the woods. As far as I know. So, it's probably. I know. Into the woods to grandmother's house we go. Into the to woods. Into the woods. Sprinkle. Into the woods. <laughs> okay. Why are we so dumb? I don't know. So, police are like, yep, we got him. Like, we have all of this evidence. Physical, circumstantial, everything. Video, literally everything. So, luckily... David comes home from working on the farm. I don't know what that means. Um, no, he worked on a farm. I didn't either. And he comes in while they're searching his home the second time. So they're like, yes. okay, you're arrested. So it's been less than 24 hours. He's arrested in less than 24 hours. He went to work that day, which like, why? Yeah, I would call it. Yep. But maybe, I think it was his dad's farm, so he probably couldn't call it. <laughs> his dad would be like, get your bitch ass out of bed and get to the farm. <laughs> It's like, Dad, I'm super tired. I was just murdering people at, like, 3.30 this morning. Shit. I haven't slept all night. Like, let me sleep a little bit. They charge him on May 9th, 2014, a day after the murder. He gets charged with first-degree murder and first-degree burglary. Oh, when they arrest him, he refuses to talk. He lawyers up right away, so they can't get anything from him. So they take him to trial, and... All of a sudden, during the trial, David Moffat's defense attorney basically says that they're going to plead for, you know, not guilty by mental defect, insanity. And the police are like, okay, but like, you have to basically say that you committed the crime before you'd say you were insane, because if you were insane, that means you committed the crime. So, are you what did you are you committing? Does that mean you're confessing? Yeah, because you have to admit guilt to claim the insanity defense. But yeah, so then they basically, the defense attorney acknowledges that he did kill Justin Michael. So the defense's argument is that this happened because David was mentally ill and that he was on antidepressants and yet this was a side effect of the antidepressant that caused him to kill Justin. Um, what? Yeah. There, there are <laughs> millions of people on antidepressants who don't kill people. Yeah. That's not a side effect. That's no. just not a side effect. No. He claims that his meds led him to develop homicidal ideations. The defense attorney said that he had a history of depression and that once he heard about the engagement of Angie, his lover of three months in a weird text relationship, was engaged to Justin, who he happened to work with which they didn't mention at all in that show I watched, by the way. Oh my god, they worked together? Yeah, so I, I looked into it, and I can't find a ton of information about it, but uh, Justin worked at Wells Fargo, and about two months after David and Angie broke up, I think Justin and Angie had just started dating at that, he got a job at Wells Fargo. And I'm thinking that it had- He is in Justin. No, Justin had been working there for a while. David got oh. the job at Wells Fargo about two months after he broke up with Angie. So, they're not so you're thinking maybe he got, got the job, job to keep an eye on him? Keep an eye on him? Yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. But they did work together. So he said that he found out that they were engaged and this put him in a downward spiral and his depression got worse. There is evidence actually that he did go to a psychiatrist and he said that he did have ideas of murdering people and that he had thought about killing people before. And that was in January of 2014, which was like like four months before this happened. So she prescribed, she or he prescribed him with antipsychotics. However, he quit therapy. He quit seeing a psychiatrist pretty much right away. And he would sporadically take his antipsychotics mm. and his antidepressants. So antipsychotics or antidepressants? Both. Oh, okay. So he was on antidepressants, I think, for a considerable amount of time. But then in January, he went on antipsychotics because of the murdering thing. Oh, okay. But what if he, I was just, I just, this popped in my head. What if he knew at this point that he was going to kill them or kill Justin? And he literally, it was the same thing. I yeah. Think. So then he just drops in that he has an ideation, a homicidal ideation so that he can get prescribed antipsychotics so that he can lay the foundation for but he only sees yeah later on. But he only sees them once and he stops. He doesn't actually probably take them. Yeah. That just popped in my head. I'm like, 
suspicious, but they don't really bring up that he worked, they worked together. So another big piece of evidence the prosecution used at trial was the ID that David had used to get the gun. Because remember, he saw the right, ID. Right, he got the receipt from someone, from Andy and his license. Yeah, and so when the guy had sold him the gun, he saw his photo ID. So they actually found that in David's possession. And what he had done is he had photoshopped a fake ID using Andy's mm-hmm. picture and Andy's name with his license as like the template. Mm-hmm. However, when they looked closely, they realized the signature at the bottom was David's. So it said Andy's name, but at the bottom it was signed David Moffat. So he hadn't switched the signatures at the bottom. Okay. Which like nobody looked at anyway. Well, please did. Like, well, you know, but like when you're doing a sale, oh, nobody yeah, looks no, at no, that. Uh, no, I, I don't. I, but police were like, okay, so he had taken his ID, like scanned it into his computer, you know, edited, put Andy's photo, Andy's name and information, but forgot to change that piece and then printed it out as a fake ID. I don't know how that works, but, you know, people don't think so. And this takes time. That's a lot of what the prosecution is saying. All of this takes time and effort, and he's been planning this for a while, especially considering the fact that they'd been engaged for, like, ten months at the time. So then like that makes it premeditated. Exactly. So then, Which, like, just because something's premeditated, I think, shouldn't make it so that they don't have an insanity plea, because I think you can have mental illness that could potentially cause you to do acts like these, which would include premeditation, but... I think that would have to be some pre- pretty severe mental illness. Yeah, I think that's well documented. Yeah, the sanity thing, like, yeah, because when they look through his history and what he's doing and like the choices he's making, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. The premeditation is kind of sometimes it's like well, a little bit iffy, but in his case, it's I. He's not. This is pre. Yeah. This is premeditated. This is a hundred percent premeditated. He's been getting there exactly. So then prosecutors also bring into evidence what they found on his computer that was in the water. So obviously the water didn't do anything to it because what the fuck? I guess he had only put it in like an inch of water and I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I was imagining a tub full of water. I don't think it was very much. And he barely gets the monitor stand wet. (laughs) I have no idea. Yeah. So they end up looking, bringing in his Google searches. So first they find a bunch of Google searches basically stalking Angie online. Then they find him basically stalking Justin online. And then they find him stalking Andy online and finding all this information about them, how they're linked. But then it got kind of strange. He searches how to get away with murder, not the TV show the actual <laughs> because like who searches that what the fuck how to get away with murder and well, you think it's gonna be in like the top 10 well, results of like how to successfully actually do this well, and it's like it depends are you using a gun like is there a knife like what the fuck when you google how to get away with murder is one of the first steps don't fucking google how to get away with murder oh, i didn't even think about that now that there's the tv show though you can't search that ever you're just gonna get, oh, yeah. yeah. Just gonna get a big picture of Viola Davis. So I'm not. I'm. I'm not, I wouldn't be adverse to that. <laughs> no, that, those beautiful, beautiful eyes, and she's that gorgeous skin, so silk is soft. I don't know. I've never touched her face, but it looks soft. <laughs> he also searched what fruit most closely resembles a human skull. I never oh my googled God, it. Like take practice shot. I never googled it. Oh, I didn't even put those together. By the way, don't Google it. You're gonna get. <laughs> Oh my, god. oh my god. I have to pee and I almost pissed my pants. That piece of shit. Oh my god. Okay, well, I'm dead. Bye. You go we are pee. taking a break and I'm peeing. I, I gotta go pee right now. <laughs> if something like that happens again, I'm peeing my pants. I'm sorry. That was me. I, d- I don't know what happened. Oh my god. I'm like, my face is red. My heart is beating. <laughs> What fruit most closely resembles a human skull? I've always heard that a coconut is as hard as a human skull. However, watermelons are mostly water. I'm watching a murder- Oh, this is funny. I'm watching a murder mystery forensic show recently, and in the show, they state the watermelon is the same density as a human head. Question is, does anybody know whether a watermelon is accurately comparable to a human head in terms of density and cutting medium? Morbid, I know, but it intrigued me. You really have to Google that, though. I know. Just you look can't at just it. like go into the grocery store and take a look at the produce and think, "All right, that looks like a human skull." 
oh, it's actually a paper, uh, like a published paper for the College of Pharmacy saying fruits and vegetables that resemble to body organs and have significant role to them. I don't care about that. I just want to know what to use to freaking try to kill. Watermelon has the same density as a human skull, but oh. coconuts have the same, I think, hardness. like hardness of the skull. Either way, I think you don't have to worry if you have a 9mm that that's going to go through. I was going to say, you have an assault rifle. Are you really worried about if the bullet's (laughs) going to penetrate the skull or not? Exactly. And then, so some other Google searches were, when do the streetlights come on in Grimes, Iowa? Oh, Jesus. What is the traffic light pattern in Grimes, Iowa? Like, I think it stops the lights. How to hire a hitman. Like, Like, they're going to be like, here, hire me. It's just a police officer being like, bitch, try to hire me. I will cut you. Then he searched the best murdering guide you will ever need. (laughs) Jesus. By David Thoreau. What's that guy's name? Henry David Thoreau. There we go. I was like, David Thoreau. I don't know. I'm just (laughs) Thoreauing that out there. So the book gets you, right? I'm thinking of The Office. How to Throw a Garden Party. (laughs) No, you open it up, and it's just a, place it right here. The police will be <laughs> on the way. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was thinking it was like the how to, how to Throw a Garden Party by James Trickington. <laughs> and then he also searched um, love triangle murders. You're not even in a love triangle. This is a love, this is a love line. Get out of our fucking line. You aren't a part of this. Mind your own goddamn business. You're nasty, and you need Jesus. So now they were trying to figure out why. So the prosecution and the family and friends kind of came to the idea that we've already, you know, come to is that they believed that David was obsessed with Angie and that he wanted to kill Justin and frame Andy so that she would lose not only her fiance, but her best friend. And she would only have him in his mind to rely on. I'm calling him. I'm calling him her best friend, but I, I think you know they they dated for three years. They were still really close, but I don't know if they're actually best friends. So he thought that by doing this, he would be there to console her and would get her back, which is bananas. The jury found him guilty of first degree murder of Justin Michael and first degree burglary. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And then a reporter said the only time he showed emotion throughout the trial is when he was sentenced. He put his head in his hands. Seemed very upset because it's all about him, the narcissism. You know. Right. And one of the reporters also said something that makes sense is she she said this was one of the most terrifying things to try and understand that someone you went on a couple of dates with who you thought was in, insignificant was completely obsessed with you and would do anything to be with you, including kill the love of your life. That is one of my biggest fears, Which is to crazy. be honest, as a person who has online dated in the past. Like, maybe there's, what What if one of the guys I had John on a date with has been stalking me ever since, and you have no mm-hmm. clue? Yeah. I mean, she, it happens to so many women yeah. where, yeah, there are women who are absolutely harassed, and they know they're being stalked, and they make it very obvious. And then there's the cases where they had no clue. The idea that someone, because she couldn't even remember his last name at the time. She was like, I don't know, his name is Dave can't remember his last name. Like, that's how insignificant he was to her. And this guy had been so obsessed with her. That's so crazy. Well, and I mean, I guess in normally in these stories, they kill the woman. I know, it's very strange. But this story is different where they kill the the fiancé, but nobody should have to die because of this. We we shouldn't get obsessed over people. Treating people as possessions, Mm -hmm. it just never works. That's the part that I, I don't understand. And like, we always say you can't understand crazy. You'll never be able to understand because I've never had that thought or feeling. Like for me, it's like, well, I don't get it. There's someone else out there for you. Or if you weren't such a fucking creep, you maybe have someone who actually cared about you. If you didn't right. tell them to eat shit and die, maybe you would have a relationship. I don't get it. Right. If you actually worked on yourself and yeah. stopped bullshitting your own mental health or bullshitting your own self-worth and entitlement yeah and that's a part of all of these true crime shows is they get they get possessive and then they the person leaves and most of the time starts a new relationship or is working on themselves and thinks that the problem is gone even with Mm -hmm. people it's when when they knew they were being stalked it's like this moment of calm and then you know this terrible thing happens and it's just oh so scary it is terrifying there's a show i'm also watching that i recommend to you that I'll send that YouTube channel to you. It's called um, Stalked, Murdered in Slow Motion. Isn't that a fucking way to put wow. it? Yeah. There, There is a stalking show that I was, like, watching for two seconds, but stalking is so freaky to me. I can't. Yeah, this one. I really can't. Th- I, yeah, I totally understand that. For this one, it's 
in it's in England. They're all uh, well, it's English narrators, and the first couple cases are English, but I think they cover everywhere. But they mm-hmm. they specifically cover um, English cases. There's a couple of interesting ones, but it's all boyfriends who. You know, they started dating, and then they came, became abusive and controlling and possessive, and so the girls were like, sorry, I'm not going to deal with this shit. And, yeah. And, like, oh, it's just so sad. Um, but that is a good, you know, if you want to be terrified of everything, yeah. I recommend it. Wow. Um, and it also talks about stalking laws and, like, a lot of these families who have done things since they lost their loved one. Right. But to wrap up the episode, Ice-T says, a jilted lover might say, if I can't have you, no one else will. That is, if they are a straight-up creep, consumed by jealousy and obsession. That is something David Moffat took way too far. Now he has the rest of his life to determine if it was worth it to kill in ice-cold blood. <laughs> ice-cold. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't laugh. This guy died. No, that's the thing. Like, you can't... This this is your way, like, our way of coping. This is the way to talk about it. Because nothing... I mean, we're going to talk about him right now. But one of the big things that I took from this is the idea of... This is the perfect example of why you can't judge a person's reaction to trauma as guilt. Because they looked guilty AF. Yep. And and they um, and the cops were like, yeah, we had never seen a case like this before. They were so fucking calm, but they were. That's just how they were trying to deal with it. I mean, I think that it was like they hadn't even come to terms with what happened. I mean, it's crazy, but you cannot assess someone's guilt based on their reaction to trauma because it's different for everyone. Right. So, all right. So let's chat about our our sweet dear Justin Michael. Justin Michael moved around a lot as a kid. He had lived in five homes before they finally settled in Iowa in 1997. His parents said that that move was a little bit tough on him, but once they got settled, everything went really well. But he said that he kind of got to learn a lot about the different regions that he lived in in the United States and kind of got to appreciate history and travel and adventure and, you know, making new friends and it kind of shaped who he was. So once he landed in Iowa and they, and they stayed there, he was really, really happy there. They said that he was an avid outdoorsman. They said that he loved adventures. And one of the recent adventures he had taken before his passing is he actually went skydiving with his fiance Angie, on May 3rd, just five days before his passing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talk about live life to the fullest. Oh, my gosh. Right. So he was very active. He played volleyball and basketball. He had a good group of friends who he was really close to who loved him. They ended up actually putting together a memorial volleyball tournament. He was in a doubles volleyball team, so he played with this other guy. And they put together a memorial volleyball game for him. He, Yeah. He went to Des Moines Area Community College. And while he was there, he actually went on a mission trip with his dad to Egypt. They said that this is what sparked his passion for community service. And that's why he started working so closely with Habitat for Humanity and put, you know, doing things for others. They said it was constant for him. He loved helping others. He ended up graduating from Iowa State University. He transferred from the community college to the Iowa State University and graduated with a degree in public service and administration in agriculture. His friends and family were obviously devastated and were so upset because he had such a bright future. One friend said that it just seemed like he was building and building and had this momentum and everything was kind of getting organized and he was getting really driven and determined and it kind of seemed like the perfect time for him. And then he had this wonderful life ahead of him and it was just stolen from him. And they Mm -hmm. said that that was part of the devastation is because he was on this great track. He had this woman who he's in love with. He's about to get married. They had a house together. He had all these plans for the future for his career and by all accounts he was doing everything right exactly so he was described as genuine loyal respectable kind and was always happy so he's all around a really good guy his family wants him to be remembered for his kind heart and good nature and he had an innate kindness towards everybody so that is justin another fun fact about justin is he loved s'mores so i mean who doesn't i mean seriously but for this week's fun fact, we're not going dark. We're going s'mores because Justin loved s'mores. We're talking about s'mores. I love that. Yeah, Give me s'more for that. <laughs> I still, I always think of the stupid office quote where Toby's like, no more s'mores, no more s'mores. And they're all laughing and it's the stupidest fucking joke and I hate it so much. <laughs> Anyways, so I Googled some fun facts about s'mores. 
So, the first known s'mores recipe was published in the Girl Scouts Handbook, Tramping and Trailing with the Girl Scouts, in 1927. Yes, Girl Scouts represent! So, at the time, it wasn't even called s'mores. It was called Some More. Some Mores. Some Mores. And that's what it was titled in the Girl Scout Handbook. And then it eventually got shortened to s'mores. And in 1974, it was officially put in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it was defined as, or is defined as, a dessert consisting, usually, of toasted marshmallow and pieces of chocolate bar sandwiched between two graham crackers. As we all know of our- s'mores to me. Yeah, as we all know of our s'mores. August 10th is National S'more Day, so everyone have a s'more for Justin, because National S'more Day, I'll post it on our- I didn't know there was that day. What? I didn't know there was a day for s'mores. Yeah, there's- well, my birthday's on National Cheese- uh, ball day so there's like days for everything i'm gonna add it to my calendar so that on august 10th we're gonna post a eat a s'more for justin day i love that campers at deer run camping resort in gardeners pennsylvania built the world's largest s'more s'more <laughs> sound weird weighing in at 267 pounds it comprised of 140 pounds of marshmallows 90 pounds of chocolate and 90 pounds of graham crackers First of all, that reminds me of the Gilmore Girls episode where they try to make the world's largest pizza and Kirk gets burned by the cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't oh, man, eat that. I, don't, I, I don't, know. don't know what sounds better. The biggest s'more in the world or the biggest pizza? I don't know. Did, could they even eat it? Like, did they, I don't I don't know. I want to see a picture. I'm going to Google a picture, see if we can find it. So Americans buy 90 million pounds of marshmallows every year. And Shit. during the summer, it is estimated that 50% of marshmallows sold are used for s'mores. Well, if you think about how light a bag of marshmallows are, that makes the number even more hey. impressive, doesn't it? Yeah, 90 million pounds. That's a shit ton of freaking marshmallows. That's a lot of marshmallows. So there is... I a- really want marshmallows now. God damn it. I'm sorry. So actually, the graham cracker was invented by a Presbyterian minister named Sylvester Graham in 1829 in Boundbrook, New Jersey. Who knew? His name. That's why it's called graham cracker, because his name was Sylvester Graham. What? Who would have thought? <laughs> so, according to the S'mores Gourmet Treats for Every Occasion cookbook, the perfect technique for cooking your marshmallow is to cook on a metal rod or coat hanger because it gets hotter in the center. Don't use a wooden one. And don't do it over active flames. Do it over coals because it helps cook consistently mm-hmm. all the way around. Yeah, well, you know, we've done it. We've all yep. been there. Unless you're a heathen who likes them burnt. Um, okay, I like them burnt. Well, okay. I know that's why I said it. <laughs> Bitch. So part of the reason I like them burnt is because I can't have normal graham crackers. So usually all mm. I can have is a marshmallow and chocolate because I'm gluten-free. Uh, I have the celiac. I have the celiac. <laughs> I have the celiac. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I normally don't get to partake in the graham crackers. I still haven't found the best gluten-free graham crackers. So if you know what a good gluten-free graham cracker is, holla at you, girl. But I like them burnt because it makes them um, taste a little bit, I don't know, different. But I do like them golden brown, too. I'm often oh, yeah. the s'more maker at my cabin. So my family and friends, they all, all party and drink, and I do not partake. And you have patience. <laughs> no. I think, well, they all were sitting and talking. And I was like, does anybody want s'mores? So I went to the fireplace, and I made s'mores for everyone. I brought them out. I was like, here you have some more. Everyone was so grateful. So s'mores bring people together. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. But yeah, so in honor of Justin... S'mores, s'mores, s'mores. The sad thing about that story is that if I were actually in that story, it would have been everybody was drinking, and so I went and made a plate of s'mores and just ate them by myself. Oh, I would have loved to. I would have never shared that shit. (laughs) It's because I can't have the gluten. If I could have the gluten, things would be different. (laughs) I'm, I'm very kind because of the gluten. Right. All right, well, that's all I have for you. Do you have anything to add, Stephanie? No, just... I'm sad because of Justin. He seems so nice, and I and yeah. I, now I want s'mores. Yep, and I think that that's the one thing we have to realize is he was such a good guy, and they said he lived a really full life before he died, which is at least some token. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, so uh, we can honor him. They can honor him with volleyball and all of his passions. Yep. But we'll have a s'more for him on August 10th, and hopefully he can... Watch from above. That's right. I like that. That's a good way to end it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please do the things that you do for podcasts. We love 
all of you talk to us, hang out with us, do things. Rate, subscribe, <laughs> review, do things with the things. Yeah, we only have one rating right now. And I might say that it might be from someone who's related to me. <laughs> it <laughs> is okay. My best friend actually loves to listen to us and she's never rated us. So. <laughs> it, it's not super easy. Like you have to go through a li- like a weird steps. So I tried to like figure out how to do it from one of my other podcasts that I really love. And it's not easy. It's kind of weird, especially on iPhones for the uh, iTunes. Maybe they're making it different for Apple Podcasts. But anyways, yeah, I, I I post stuff on Instagram quite a bit. Right now I'm posting a lot of cold cases that have, there's been a lot of movement in cold cases. So if you want to keep an eye on that, I posted some um, composite sketches. So if you live in the Salt Lake City area or if you lived in Indiana. Or Tell them what our Instagram is so they can find yeah. that. So our Instagram is, you know the one where, you can email us at, you know the one where, at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, but it's weird. We have a weird Twitter handle, so I'll put that in the show notes and on the blog and stuff. And also, you can look at uh, look at the blog. I just post um, episodes that with pictures if you want any further info. I also post the sources, so if you want to look more into the research. So you can check that out. Um, Yeah, I have nothing else to say to you. Peace out. Thank you for listening. And (laughs) I'm sorry. Bye.